0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik.
1: I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms
0: and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Been a while hello 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 mamas and papas welcome to moms that say fuck we're really excited um to be back we actually haven't recorded in a few weeks Mm -hmm. nice to see
1: you dean a month maybe
0: it's even been a month we've had a lot happen in our lives yeah um and we're really excited because tonight we have lisa Mello. she's an rd a registered dietitian intuitive eating counselor and a body image coach and i know lisa as the non-diet dietitian that's how i was drawn Mm -hmm. to her and we're super excited to have you here. So welcome, Lisa.
2: Thank you for welcome. having me.
0: Okay. So give us a little bit about yourself, Lisa.
2: Yeah. So my name is Lisa Malu. I'm a dietitian. As I said, a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I work with mostly women who want to have a better relationship with food and their body. They want to kind of ditch the diet and make peace with their body instead of trying to shrink it Over and over and over again. Yeah. We have
0: this conversation almost every podcast, (laughs) given the nature of our topic. And that's why I thought you were compelling, because um, we always talk about food. We always talk about body, body image, people's relationship to body, um, the changing body. So I thought Mm -hmm. you'd make it interesting.
1: I think it's such a big part of parenthood and motherhood. We get bigger, then we get smaller. And even before that, you know, we've talked so much about, you know, adolescence and our adolescent struggles and then young women's struggles even before having babies. But um, I feel like there's very few people that I know that never had any insecurities with their bodies, even people that have beautiful bodies, all sorts of different bodies, right? But I mm-hmm. think many women, probably most women have some, some, and many men too, but we speak most to women. Um, and I, I know the woman experience, I don't know the male, male experience, but um many women have difficulties with whatever part of their body. It could be that they're too heavy or they're too thin or their breasts are too big or too small or their hair's not perfect or their eyes are the right color or whatever. Everyone has a thing. I don't know. Have you guys ever met anyone that doesn't have anything that is like really truly loves everything and always did. Like there's people now that speak about yeah. like, you know, people on Instagram, whatever that are so
0: bo- body positive positive but they're usually coming from a place where they weren't necessarily before. They were very eating disordered. Yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe. What's your experience, Lisa, with like what's the discourse in your profession in terms of the counseling element of what you do?
2: Yeah. So um getting back to dinner's questions. Yeah, no, I don't know anyone who yeah. would say, I love my body every day, all day, all parts of my body. And I think it's even not realistic to think about it that way. Sometimes I even frame with clients that like body image work is a practice. It's not that you get to a destination and that you were all good and everything is perfect. It's almost like a daily practice because we are surrounded by this culture that tells you this type of body, this is the bodies that we like. And those bodies, we don't like them that much. So you got to be that way. So it's it's a constant process instead of being, I'm going to do this for a months, two months, I don't know, even a year, and then I'll be good. And nobody affects or nothing affects me anymore.
1: Yeah, or people think like if it's just five more pounds or just two more inches Oh or yes. just whatever, I don't know, less acne, less, I don't know, whatever it is, cellulite, you know, whatever thing is. I think a lot of people are always struggling for more and more. Yeah. Something different, something Mm -hmm. different than they have. The grass is always greener.
2: Yeah. And I think this is also a big part of the work that I do. It's kind of realizing that the problem, it's not the body it's in the mind Hmm. because it doesn't matter. We may always chase that. Yeah. It's just 10 more pounds and then five more pounds and well, maybe five more or just a little bit more until you realize it's never enough. It's never good enough. So there's a, Point for some women, and I think it's getting more and more women now that it's like enough is enough, and I'm done kind of doing this. But then, what do I do? Yeah. So, what is the daily practice? I have to say. So, Lisa's um, um,
0: Instagram is bodypeace.mom Dot mom, and she po- you posted something that like really struck a chord with me. Lisa was holding a sign in her this one because mm. I'm I'm pregnant. I haven't I don't think I've said that on the podcast yet. Yeah, I'm pregnant. Anna. Um, and Lisa has a photo where you you know, those like sign, sign boards and it says mm-hmm. I'm heavier now than I was one, when I was nine months pregnant. Um, and then and this the ca- is you? I it's yeah. post, yeah. This, okay. is the, mm-hmm. this is Lisa saying I'm heavier yeah. now than mm-hmm. I was nine months pregnant. Yeah. And to me that like really like struck a chord because yeah. I'm the heaviest I've ever been starting this pregnancy. And I was like, I can't believe I'm pregnant in this weight. Like that's what my first, and I, it's so pervasive for me. And because I'm with a midwife during this pregnancy and always have been, my midwives aren't so crazy about weighing you they're just not Mm -hmm. Um, but because I haven't seen my midwife and I'm almost like four months pregnant I've been seeing my GP and she always weighs me and it makes me so uncomfortable to see the numbers go up. And this this particular one just like struck such a deep chord with me. So I'll pause there. But But of I, course
1: you're heavier though. Why would you not be heavier? You just had another baby. I know, I know. But like Because you, like, you might be like nine, nine months was,
0: up, nine months down. But really it's like nine months up and like a yeah. year and a half,
1: two years, three years, never, right, whatever, of course, whatever we're down. But I don't know that, right? Yeah, like right.
0: and to some degree it's just it's an obsession with I have an unhealthy obsession with scale and numbers, which I'm sure you feel. So I'm very curious to know, like in your counseling, like what is a daily practice to make me or somebody like less obsessed with numbers? Like what is the actual practice? I mean, you don't have to give me all your secret sauce, but tell our (laughs) listeners, like how do you actually have that shift in mindset. It's, it's, it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, of course. And, and I'm a very positive... I love my body. I've always loved my body. I've been up and down and thinking, But I was actually going to do a whole thing on Instagram. Sorry to riff on this for one second. About how, like, having a bigger pregnant body versus a smaller pregnant body. And I mm-hmm. see all these girls on Instagram who are pretty Instagram famous... I found that Instagram was like a mechanism for people in the health and wellness industry to share their inspirational, aspirational stuff. Um, And then when those women got pregnant, like there was so much pressure, I'm sure, for them to be like skinny, fit, pregnant people. And I don't feel that pressure at all. But I feel almost this pressure to be like, I am the voice of like the regular woman. (laughs) And this Mm -hmm. is what your pregnant body looks like when you're not um, a triathlete, right? And when your mission in life isn't to have the pressure to be a skinny pregnant person.
2: Mm-hmm. Sorry, go Lisa, shut up now. It's okay. And I hear you. And I think yeah, there's a lot of pressure in the kind of pregnant body. And I would say in pregnant women in general. It's like it's as if their body is not theirs anymore. Like everybody has a say or a comment or something to talk about. Even after the baby is born, you know what I mean? It's all the get your body back, bounce back, or whatever. It's like everybody 10 has. minutes. Right. Yes. On Instagram. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hmm. And especially I've seen that before, like talking about people who are, I don't know, Insta. Famous or celebrities, the pressure to kind of you only you can only gain so much weight when you're pregnant, and it has to be that perfect baby bump and things like that. And it's well, that's not real life. And even like it's it's not enough of the pressures that women have like with regards to their body image during their life. And now it's even in pregnancy, it you still have to have the perfect body. Or after your baby is born, it's like as Dina said, like 10 minutes later, like a week later, it's like, why are you feeling like this? And I mean, I don't know what was like, you both experienced, but for me, my daughter was very colicky and she would cry 24 seven for the first, maybe three months of her life. And I was like, I can't even function properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I don't sleep, I don't do anything. And I was so lost in motherhood. I'm like, and why are we talking about bodies right now or how our body looks like? Um, Anyway, then I I went on the tangent. Okay, (laughs) welcome to the club. (laughs) Hi, listeners are used to it. Your question was about, yeah, like the daily practice. Yeah, so what's the practice? It looks really different. It depends on the person. It depends on how deep those wounds or scars they are. Like for some people, they started dieting when they were a child. So at a very early age, they were told, your body's wrong, you need to be smaller, uh, blah, blah, blah. So it's it may have been 20 years, 30 years that they carry those ideas that your body is wrong. Mm-hmm. Other people started a little, a little bit later. It also depends on your body size because, I mean, everybody... Lots of women they do struggle with body image, but some people they suffer from weight stigma and fat phobia, which is like going to the doctor with a ear infection and being told you just have to lose weight, or even so. I'm thinking about there's a walking clinic nearby where I live, and I went there um, recently, and all the chairs were kind of little chairs, and they were armchairs, and I was thinking like. I have clients that would never fit this chair. And then how do you feel like going to the doctor's office and there is no chair that fits you?
0: So fat phobia, just to... Can you just spell it out? I I, I assume I know what it is, but for our <laughs> listeners, what is a fat phobia? What does fat phobia mean?
2: Um, it's not just the fear of being fat, but... Like the way that you think about fat people and when I'm saying fat here, I know there's a lot of negative connotations around for, the word for fat some
0: people, the word fat is a trigger. It's yes. like saying fuck. Like fuck is a dirtier word than saying fat.
2: Yes. Yeah. And when I'm saying fat here is in line with what is called like the fat acceptance movement and fat activists, which is like a neutral descriptor. Of a body right. that is not good or bad. It's just a descriptor. Have you heard of that, Dina?
1: No. Do, so do you mean like obese? Like the like the definition of obese?
2: Um. So within like the fat acceptance community, they don't like the word obese because they feel it's dehumanizing because it's like you were telling people, if you are at this weight, then your body's sick. Mm-hmm. And it's an epidemic and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So they... A lot of people, they will say that they can relate to this word, yes. like obese or obesity and all of that. And they much prefer to have their body being called fat. Interesting. That is really interesting. So
1: from from a medical perspective, what obese means, like that medical, it's a medical term, um, it's About the BMI. So Mm -hmm. if you take your weight and your height and you put it into a mathematical equation. Oh, I've
0: been obese since I was nine then because I'm always off the BMI schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: there's like, there's normal weight and then there's overweight, which I think is over 25, BMI of 25. And then more than what, 27? 30 30. 30 is obese. Yes. And there's like morbidly obese, which is like more than 35 or something. Yeah, you could Google Mm -hmm. this. I mean, you can put your weight and your height in, but it's hard because it's just one measure, right? So like, you know, a few years ago, there was this whole movement Mm -hmm. away from body mass index into things like your waist circumference and if your waist circumference is more than, I don't know, 30 for a woman and 35 for a man or something like that, that was more worrisome from a medical perspective because the thought there is that you have more adipose or fat tissue around your organs, so like around your intestines and your liver, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and that puts you at higher risk of heart attack and stroke and things like that, more than just being heavy from a weight perspective. right? And I think, I mean, the pendulum keeps swinging, right? So I don't even know what's, like, the thing now. Um, and now they'll of you do blood work and they look at other markers of, of heart health and things like that. But there, it was a big thing was, like, BMI. Like, if your BMI is high, like, you're too overweight, right? right. Um, and you have to get that down because of heart risks and um, stroke and things like that. Um, and then there was this, yeah. like, belly size thing. And I don't know. I didn't really talk about that anymore so much. But I'm so interested yes, about this, like, I movement say- of...
0: What did you say the movement was? But it's weird to me
1: to be like I get it, sort of like that people want to move away from the word obese, but that's like truly like a medical
2: word. It is a medical word. You know what I'm saying? Like don't call baby premature. Like it may make them
1: offended, but like they are premature.
2: Uh, But it's stigmatizing in a way. As I said, like some people they have a lot of actually trauma related to kind of medical appointments Mm -hmm. because they'll go see a doctor and. The only thing that the doctor sees is their weight, just yes. like you said. Like, Hopefully
1: that's not true for most right. doctors, but I, I'm sure yes, some doctors do. There's a lot of it. that. Yeah. Yes,
2: yes. yeah. and I mean, it is in part a reflection of their training. I mean, as a dietitian, I was training, a lot of my training is very weight-centric, meaning your weight is a problem and you need to lose weight. And then it's like, okay, so what is an intervention that you know that it's proven to that people will lose weight and it's successful and they won't have any disorder habits and it stays in the long term for most people and it's like mm, none so what would it be like if we start we focus on behaviors like just as I said I don't know you were concerned about your blood sugars mm-hmm. you were concerned about blood pressure about um diabetes. So what behaviors, because behaviors are the things that we can actually do. We can lose weight. This is not a behavior. You can choose to, I don't know, I'm going to eat more vegetables at dinner, or I'm going to go for a walk with my dogs. This is a behavior. This is something that you can do every day, one day, a week, whatever. Uh, but it's not like, okay, I'm going to lose half a pound this week. This is not something that you do that's so interesting
1: so it's taking the pressure off of the weight loss as the goal but rather let's do things that are going to make us feel better lifestyle maybe we'll lose weight maybe we'll just feel better but the goal isn't necessarily to lose that one pound ten pounds forty
0: pounds exactly I know it sounds so it's so such a simple concept Mm. that you're right you can't Mm. The behavior isn't the weight loss. The behavior is other things. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, that's uh-huh. what I'm saying. And this is regardless of body size. Because I feel that sometimes even the talk about like focusing on behaviors, it's like, wow, well, but it depends on your body. You know, if you're too big, then you have to focus on weight loss. But then again, it is not a behavior. It is like, what can you do right now if that is within your power and makes sense to you that may improve your health? Lisa, if that's what you're looking for. Here's
0: my question. So a few months ago, maybe it was a year ago now, I posted, I wrote something, an article called I'm a Fat Mom, and it sprung up so much emotion for women writing me notes and people who I would say, like Dina is is identifying women who are like thin women their whole life, but they have so, they had a childhood full of eating disordered and so Mm -hmm. much body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. So if somebody were to come to you and they are. Body dysmorphic, or they feel like they they had an eating disorder, but as a parent now they're having a hard. Like, how do you deal with that? Somebody who doesn't weight is not their issue. Just, mm-hmm. um, what is it called? Body image issues. Like, it what, it's if, a, if it's if it's a different? That's a different prognosis, right? It's a right. different. Well,
1: it's not just about weight, right? Like, w- one thing I was going to say uh, to what you were saying, which, which I love what you're saying, is that there's plenty of people that are thin, right, whose BMIs are normal and they're very unhealthy. Right. Right? So there's lots of people that mm-hmm. eat tons of garbage or blood pressures are, are shitty, they might have heart disease, they might have diabetes, all these things, but they don't look like that on the outside. Right. But and we don't judge those people. I mean, the typical person look at them like, "Oh, you've got diabetes." They don't know, you know? But then someone is obese and people automatically think, automatically think that person is sick, you know, unhealthy, not active, yeah. watches TV all day, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas many of those people might be quite active and maybe
2: they have beautiful blood
1: work, you know, and they have no issue at all with
2: that. Yeah. And that's when weight stigma is so harmful to everybody. That's when we realize that it's not for people who live in larger bodies only. But yeah, there's a lot of people who are within what is called the normal BMI and they may have all those chronic issues as well. Mm-hmm. And the fear of getting fat. Yeah, so whatever yes, that is for them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, getting back to your question, Elena. Yeah, I do see actually a lot of people, they have, it's not because they live in a larger body, it's more the fear of gaining weight.
0: Hmm. And
2: this is very, very real.
0: Okay, riff on that. I'm so yeah. interested.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> as someone who doesn't have, like, it's, I teeter on, not that I teeter on the fear. I know people who I would say, on the face of it, are very successful, very successful in business, self made, beautiful family. Have everything; they could like very well established, accomplished, proud people, but they just can't get over the fact that they're twenty pounds over or whatever it is, right? Like in their Mm -hmm. mind, their ideal weight. That for them is like nothing else. Those those accomplishments don't matter. Like so, that's why I'm very curious to know about this. People who are scared of getting weight, getting heavy. Because when I see somebody like that, I'm like, you look great to me. I mean, I don't. It's Mm -hmm. it's so fucked. We're such a fucked generation. I I have friends who
1: are very very thin. Uh, like size zero size two like small people who we go for dinner and they don't need anything really like right. you know they have salad mm. and they'll worry about the dressing and like just lots of stuff and and it takes away from their joy of life like they're always thinking about it, always worried about it etc and maybe they were bigger before maybe they weren't but it takes over their whole, like their whole psyche is right totally defined and by they it. They're, yeah they're defined by it right and i think a lot of it is like control it's like I mean, you could control right you know people mm. can can do that you know like if i'm just restrained enough right. and i work out enough i can like make this look like this for me and for other people right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah.
2: You know? yeah there's so many <laughs> things i want to talk about that um there's definitely yeah that control piece and it's something that we work on because i mean the bodies change we get pregnant there's menopause i see a lot of people who are going through menopause and their body is changing and if you put so much not pressure, but so much value on how your body looks like, it can be very distressing. Right, And that's, there's, I don't want to say there's nothing you can do, but it's kind of realized that we are not in control of our body, like a hundred percent. And if only I do all the right things and I do this, my body will look exactly as I want it to look. That's not true. So it's almost reconciling with, that truth can be, yeah, really hard. And it sometimes it's about it just sitting with the discomfort and like almost following that pew and thinking about that. Right. And realizing that yeah, we are not in control. And then you said something and I forgot. It's okay. That it, was. it happens. We'll <laughs> so when when I was, when I was, when, I was when I was
1: a kid, so I have three brothers. We've spoken about this before. My brothers are are thin, they're all thin. Mm-hmm. And I was not thin. I was naturally just bigger. I was bigger. I was biggest when I was born, and I was very, very chubby baby. And I had like 18 chins. I looked like Ryan did, and Ryan does. My second kid, I just had a different body type than them, and I don't know where I came from because I didn't look like either my parents, who were quite thin and still quite thin, um, and my brothers are still very thin. And I have to work hard to be the size I am um, because my my body naturally wants to be like you know, you know, 1500s, woman breastfeeding, belly hanging over, there's like 18 babies breastfeeding on the woman. Like, that's my natural body type. It's just that's like, a, that's mushy. what you are, Dina, minus yes.
0: the, the body, <laughs> minus the fat, the yeah. body but size. But like
1: mesomorph or whatever that, that was, those mm-hmm. terms were back in the day. But, um, <laughs> so, so I, I, work hard to, to stay on the thinner side because, I also for me it gives me energy like it for me it's not even about the weight or the size or the poundage I don't even know what I weigh right now um, but it's about my energy and I know if I go five pounds up or ten pounds up I just feel more bleh. like I just feel right. like less energetic and less awake etc but when I and and, I, and when I was a kid I, I did struggle with my weight and I did um I did have poor self-esteem because of it and I was like six or seven I went to a normal doctor's visit and my doctor took me into the back and um told my mom about this like diet product that he had and like don't eat this cookies Mm -hmm. eat this cookies and they're like way I remember the visit so well and I never wanted to see him again and like hurt my feelings so much and um and it wasn't because I wasn't active and it wasn't because I ate all day and you know I I really was very active and I ate well you know when my brothers ate I just had a body and then I had my own kids and we have four boys um you know biologically you know both from myself and Andrew and they have completely different bodies And I didn't really realize until I got older that like I just have a different body than them. Like My eldest Dylan is tall and skinny. He's always been tall and skinny. He was a little chicken, skinny, skinny, skinny when he came out of me. Ryan, the next kid, is shorter and chubby and he has the exact same chubby face as I do and he will always have a little belly and he's as active as Dylan, like the exact same. They eat the same food. And then Jason is just teeny mini. Like he's just super small and super skinny, like weighs so, so much less than the other kids. And then Austin's like tall and big they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. And I think now I've come to realize, like this is like so many years later, I just have different genetics. And I was never going to be skinny like my brothers, even if I ate less than them. I just wasn't because that isn't what my body wants to do or wants Mm -hmm. to be. And that is like a big thing for me. Like I thought about this, like, you know, when Austin was born, like everyone looks so different. How did this all happen? And it's not because they eat different. It's not because they're less active. They're
2: just different. Yes, and I like that you were talking about that because it is true like body diversity exists and we are so quick to want to fix people's bodies. You think, yeah, well, that's what also another criticism to kind of the BMI. It's like you have this cutoff, off and it, I mean, it was invented by an insurance like life insurance thing. It was even like a medical professional. So, but anyways, going back, it's just like people will have different body sizes. Like we have different heights, we have different eye colors and hair types. Why is it that we expect everybody to have like more or less the same weight? It's just not realistic. Yeah.
0: So you do a lot of intuitive eating counseling. Yes. Can you explain to our wonderful mommy and daddy listeners and other Mm. people? what is intuitive eating in your, as for a parent, sure. we talk about it sometimes for kids. But What does it mean yeah. as, as, as for mamas and papas? Sure.
2: Uh, so it was a framework that was created by two dietitians in the U S and it has like t- 10 principles, like summing it up. It's, Rely on your body to kind of tell you what, how much, and when to eat. Like more, like tuning into your body, like being in touch with your hunger cues and your fullness cues. Eating foods that you enjoy. It's also making peace with food, meaning that food has no moral value. Food is not good, it's not bad. Food is just food. And then being present, say when you're eating, so that you, like thinking about all your experiences with food, as experiments and experiences and not beating yourself up. So say you eat something and you think it's a bad food and at the end of the day, you're like, oh my goodness, why did I do this? I'm a bad person, this is so bad. And that's more like, okay, so how was my day? Kind of what happened? Am I stressed? Is it, what did I eat during the day? Did I, like was I just restricting all day long? I have a lot of people that will tell me, I've been good, and I'm saying with Eric all day. But then at the end of the day, I just want to eat everything. And I'm like, well, that makes sense because you're not eating enough. Or because you were eating like salad and celery and maybe a chicken breast. And that's just not enough for a grown human being to Mm -hmm. exist. And I mean, nothing wrong with salad and celery and chicken breast. It's just that those are, for a lot of people, the safe foods. And then you're like, oh, but it feels so out of control around chocolate. And I'm addicted to chocolate or something like that. And I can't control myself. But usually this feeling of out of control, it's much more related to the deprivation and to the restriction versus the food in itself. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual that a lot of people, when they first come to see me, we're going to kind of choose one food that feels very out of limits and I actually give them permission to eat that food. And then they're like really scared And it's, sometimes they will say like, what if I don't stop eating it? And I'm like, I'm sure you will. Like sometimes I'll even ask like, yeah, what would it be like to eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch and dinner for the next week? And most of them are like, uh, no, like mm-hmm. I don't feel like doing that. And I'm like, okay, but I mean, it, you have permission to do it. But then the permission, it takes away the power from the food. And it's not automatic, of course. Again, it depends on how long your history like doing diets is. Um, but when all foods are on the table and all foods are okay, mm-hmm. you kind of, it, it loses the, the excitement.
0: So interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. And have the chocolate, but enjoy the chocolate. right? Don't eat it so fast that you're just like, you feel guilty and you feel bad and you're, you're feeling bad about yourself and you swallow when you're done. Have the chocolate, but savor the damn taste of the chocolate. Yeah. If you love it, eat it, but enjoy it.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely another piece, especially in the beginning. Um, there are things like making sure you were eating during the day. So when you were tackling that, like forbidden food, you're not driven by hunger. Like, it's more about, yeah, like, sitting down, yeah, being present, tasting that food. Sometimes people will realize that they don't even like some foods that they thought they liked Mm -hmm. when they actually stop and eat and taste it. Sometimes I'll say, what is it that you like about it? Is it the texture? Is it the flavor? Is it the temperature? What is it? I don't know. Tell me. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, you know what? I tried it, and I don't even like it. Now that I know that I can have it whenever Mm -hmm. I want, I don't, I just have it in on my cupboard, and I don't touch it anymore because it's like, I don't like the taste. The power so, is gone. I just feel yeah. like
0: when I think of dietitians in my lifetime, I think of people who you go to and they like meal plan with you and they explain macros or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. when somebody comes to you and you're consulting them, this, these are the sorts of conversations you're having. So if somebody wants to be like, okay, this is all great in theory, but in practice, what should I eat? How do you have that conversation? Someone who's had like a very disordered relationship with food. Mm -hmm. I'm raising my hand. I'm very (laughs) curious.
2: So it depends on where you're at right now. For some people, it may look like just having some structure in their day, meaning making sure that they're having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. Because even that is hard. And I mean, especially for moms, depending on, say, you're on mat leave and you have a baby. I would say even eating like a few times a day, it can be already it can be a challenge. Right. Um, sometimes for some people, if they have a lot of food rules and foods that they avoid, and this is something that is kind of consuming them. Food rules? Yeah. Like uh-huh. I can have bread or I can eat, I don't know, chocolate. It's usually carbs lately, like carbs and all the sweets that mm-hmm. uh, triggers most people. Or I can go to a restaurant. I can have dressing on my salad I can, doesn't matter. Like it will vary. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say it depends on what is concerning them the most Mm -hmm. at the first appointment. But what I tell a lot of people is there are no hard rules. So when they are kind of overthinking something, but should I have this or should I have something else? And I'm like, well, try both. Like try one thing. And how do you feel? So it's a part of the process. It's top rely on external cues and things and papers to tell you what to eat and more like okay when you eat this how does it feel in your body do you feel good do you not feel good when will you be hungry again after that meal is it after two hours is it after five hours is it after half an hour so it's almost like turning down the noise and tune it into your body. It's like how we teach our kids to eat now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. intuitive eating.
0: Mm-hmm. So Lisa, how did you come to all this? Like what happened in your life, if you don't mind, or professionally where you're know. like, yeah, this is what I'm gonna lean into. Was there something you saw? And where are you from by the way? I have no idea where you're I'm from. I'm from Brazil. You're from Brazil, you yes. have such a beautiful accent. <laughs> um, I think you're our first person with like a like a real accent on our podcast. Maybe. That's great. Um, it just dawned on me. Um, tell us like, how did you come to this? Like Brazil is like a country full of women who are body obsessed, right? Yes. It's really, really yes. it's be very toxic. <laughs> Probably more than
1: anywhere else. Right. right. I think I think, this, so. I think the body surgeries per capita in Brazil are the highest in the world. Yes. Yeah, so
2: that's what I was going to say. I think you're the first one, like, plastic surgery. Yeah. yeah, ever and they are very body focused. Not just body size, but everything. Yeah. Like having breast your nails done, yeah, hair, breast yeah. implants and your hair done and everything. So yeah, no, it's tough in Brazil Yeah. Um but yeah, so I did my schooling in uh, Montreal actually and um they are like oh, schooling I mean like university um, we talked a little bit about intuitive eating and something that is called health at every size, which is a bit of what I was talking about, like more focusing on behaviors versus the weight. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me. And I was like, OK, I like that. And it was something that I kind of always implemented with um, clients. My background is in home care before I went to my private practice. Um, but it was always really hard to implement it in my own life. Because it's like, yeah, it's perfect and everything for my clients. And that makes a lot of sense. And I understand the harm of telling people to lose weight. But still, I was chasing that thin ideal and that body that everybody tells you, this is the body that you have to be, especially being a dietitian, right? There's the added pressure too, because I mean, right. you're a dietitian;
0: You have to be an example.
2: Yes. yes. Um, and so I think that after my daughter was born, and uh, she's two and uh, almost three now, I remember looking at her and thinking, like, I don't ever want you to go through what I went. Like, I don't want you to grow up thinking that you were less than because of your body. But I was like, how am I going to teach her that? Like, if I don't practice it like, for myself, not for others, but for myself. So I've kind of went really, like, I dived in. I actually saw a dietitian who worked... Like who did this work? Because I was like, I I can read all the books and I know all the theory and intellectually it makes sense. But how do I actually put this in practice in my own life? Mm -hmm. And it was hard. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, it was life-changing. Like I have also, it was very shitty. Like in my childhood, I went to like Weight Watchers, endocrinologists, like diet pills, whatever, all the whole ordeal. That's why, I mean, even though I work. Primarily with adults, I'm very passionate about like putting kids on the diet, like not nah, putting kids on the diet <laughs> yeah, because yeah. of the harms right. that um, that can cause. So yeah, that's kind of my story. Then yeah, yeah. and you say yourself that you had you've had always disordered
0: eating. Do you want to share about that? Because I
1: don't think we've actually delved into that.
0: For me,
2: I think yeah. for me, I just grew
0: up in a family of dieters. Like mm. my mom always mm. said she was fat. My mom was always on Weight Watchers. My dad discovered Atkins 40 years ago and he thinks it's Atkins is king and God and does he still do Atkins? He had a blood pressure issue, a cholesterol issue or a diabetic issue. And he changed his way of eating. And um he went to go see actually Dr. Jody Larry, who I would like to have on the podcast at some point soon. And Jody I think scared the shit out of him a bit. Um but her philosophy is very holistic eating. It's it's not that carb is the enemy. Yeah. It's eating the correct foods that yeah. give you the right things. So my dad's probably lost and gained 50 pounds his entire life. But in the last five years, have really done a good job of just changing his lifestyle and behaviors, as you say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my dad walks every day on the treadmill for 40 minutes. I think for him, like you, Dina, it's like a stress release in a mm-hmm. very busy house full of four kids. It's just his time. Yeah. Um, it's about mental health more than anything else. So yeah, I think for sure I've had disordered eating. I was thinking about it like... I remember my parents used to make, we have four kids in my family, also like Dina, and they used to make um, the Canadian food guide. That's what my parents followed. Mm -hmm. So for our family meals, it was always like a giant bowl of pasta, like 15 chicken breasts, and a giant Caesar salad or something like that. So it was like a pasta, a starch or whatever. And that was like, every meal, (laughs) six nights a week, like that was what it was um, for family meals. (laughs) And then when Atkins came out, I was still quite young, I think I was 11 or 10. They changed Mm -hmm. to like, no bread in the house, bread is evil. We don't eat carbohydrates in this family. And my brother and my sister are 10 and 12 years older than me. So when I was 10, she was my sister was 22. And she was never fat in her entire life. My sister has a very naturally thin body. But um, she can sort of dabble in binge eating, I call it. Like she has very disordered eating. Sorry, Bonnie, Um, very disordered eating. So for the last 20 years, she's low carb, low Atkins to the point where like it dictates everything. She just told me it's a funny story. Um, And she's the most like my very special, very close sister. She's like, a guy wants to take me on a date, but he wants to take me to Aloe Restaurant, which is like the Michelin star restaurant of Toronto. But I told him like, I don't think it's appropriate because... I don't eat bread or sugar. And I was like, Bonnie, you fucking go to aloe and you fucking eat every course every that is car. presented to you. <laughs> and you shut up your fucking face. If this guy wants to take you to aloe, you go. So it's very pervasive. Like my, both of my sisters and me, I think we all have disordered eating. I eat. It didn't enjoy food a lot. So my, I married a chef in the end. Um, and we love food and we love cooking and Matt will make pasta from scratch. It's really nice to eat pasta from scratch, you know? um, so I think I've like resolved some of those pains and stuff like that, but I still like we had, who was Dara from belly bottom um, mom bod love um, last season on. And she's like, she said like, I almost grew, like I almost like raised a f- my family in a house without bread. And I was like, oh my God, we don't have bread in my house. <laughs> like it's something I grew up with was just not having bread. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, that's the disordered eating. And I didn't even realize it was disordered, but yeah, Weight Watchers and keto. It's all very confusing diet culture. I remember when I went to Florida, I was a really young kid. and I was probably 14 years old, fluctuating weight as I always did. And walking into a Walgreens and seeing like diet pills, like very obvious diet pills and like sneak buying them. You know,
1: mm-hmm. I bought them when I was probably twelve or thirteen. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: like sneak buying them and taking them home. And my sister, my best friend, who's still my best friend, is her birthday today. Isn't your birthday soon? The twenty first of this month. Yeah, yeah. You're January. January. Yeah. Um, it's Jess Wasserman's birthday today. Mm-hmm. That's why I was thinking. Happy birthday, Jess! Um, so, Jess and my sister, having an interruption, be like, "You're not taking those. You're not like they found them on me." You know. So, yeah, I just think like I've always considered myself to be like a very competent woman. I've always had like attracted men. I've never had a problem with those sorts of things, but it's very pervasive, you know? We've talked about this a bit, Mm -hmm. like are we the watershed generation? Are we like unfixable, right? Is it Mm -hmm. our responsibility now to raise daughters who just have body positivity and maybe not even body body neutrality, I guess is the Mm -hmm. better word, right? Just just, as you say, every size, you know?
2: Yes, I would say sometimes with kind of the body positive movement, People feel like they have to love their bodies and that's the goal. So my conversation that I have a lot is it's more about realizing that your worth is not related to your body.
0: That's exactly it. And I think that's the challenge that I had. With my family growing up, and if you ever watch the prime show, the marvelous Miss Mazel, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting portrayal. You watch that, Andrew? I have like the nineteen fifties yeah. Jewish family, and these women who are like obsessively weighing themselves, obsessively measuring themselves, working it all the time, but obsessed with food. And food celebrates. We celebrate with food. We mourn with food. And so but, many cultures do that, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. That to me is like the epitomize. It is the epitomizes my family and how I grew up. And it comes from like my parents' parents' generation of how their relationship with food, right? So you celebrate, you mourn, you do all those things, but also this pressure that a woman should look perfect all of the mm-hmm. time. And my mother is like in her 70s now. And I think she, she's a very beautiful woman. Um, and her worth is still and her, like even un, like post-menopause- um, very disabled body, mm-hmm. she's still obsessed with totally weight obsessed. So um it's poison, it's toxic and it's real, it's a really hard thing to get over.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I've been seeing people in their eighties and nineties and women mostly. And they're still worried about their bodies and they're still telling me like had someone telling me every woman my age wants to lose weight. And it was someone in her eighties. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it never goes away. Sometimes you may feel like, well, yeah, no, I don't know. As you get older, then you stop like caring about this. And it, no, it's not true. So yeah, I think that's part of why I feel so passionate about this. It's more yeah, like changing the culture, changing the conversation because it sometimes feels really hard because it's so pervasive and kind of weight loss things are so everywhere. Um, but at the same time, I do see kind of in my daily life, not just with clients, but I would say like even friends or people, especially because of social media and because like I'm very open with what I do and what I think about things. So sometimes I do have like people in my personal life kind of approaching me and telling me, oh, I really liked this and this or that. Or they're going to tell me their stories because it's very vulnerable, right? To open up and say, I don't want to talk about body image or to talk about our struggles and things like that. And, and it's, I think
0: what I was interesting talking to you, Lisa and you, Dr. Dina, is this sort of like middle ground between like, okay, when are things unhealthy, right? When is this unhealthy binge eating behavior or unhealthy relationship with food where you like your health is actually at risk right or where you sort of say like air quote like let yourself go you've just decided not to care versus what you're saying which is like body love at all sizes or like body acceptance at all sizes and for me like I find it very pervasive. I find Bert's Papaya very pervasive. I find Lizzo very pervasive. I find like these women who I think are like, I think Ashley Graham pregnant on the cover of, was it Vogue magazine? I found that all, I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, like you look like me to some degree, right? Um, when I see it, it's great. I mean, I'm not sure if I love it, on every conversational platform. I don't need to see it mm-hmm. every day, but I like seeing birds papaya stretch marks on the side of a bus, you know? It feels really good that people are moving toward that, not only on social media, but like very mainstream also, like seeing different bodies and different colors and different shapes.
2: Yes. in um, yes. and-
0: mainstream for sure.
2: Yes, and I hear you when you're talking about health, and I think sometimes there's this misconception that Please, yeah. accepting your body means that you don't care and right. that you don't take care of yourself and things like that. Right. And I think it goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about before. Like, looking at a person's body, it doesn't tell you anything about your health. Mm-hmm. You don't know what is going on. A person may be what a lot of people would consider thin, and they may not be healthy. And also health is so much more than physical health. Going back again to a little bit of what I was saying before, like the friend who would go to a restaurant and doesn't eat or just eat a salad without dressing or something like that. And I see a lot of people who have so many concerns about food and obsessions related to food that it paralyzes them. Like they can't live their lives. Because it revolves around food and meal prepping and what is it that you're doing. And then it's like, is this health really or no? Or even like going, like seeing the bigger picture, I feel like sometimes even with like talking about changing behaviors, we focus a lot on food and movement, kind of exercise, but we don't talk that much about stress. Sleep stigma, as I was saying, like weight stigma, there's lots of research that shows that increases cortisol and it's detrimental to people's health or just the determinants of health, which is something that people would talk about in public health, which is like income and access to medical care and your postal code so where is it that you live there's so many things that affect our health mm-hmm. that we don't talk about and we only talk about like food like what is how much food and what foods is it that you eat or how much exercise or movement that you engage that we lose the big picture right
1: and i think what you're saying i 100 percent agree with there's a like, like as i said before you could be thin and be very unhealthy you could have you know Severe high blood pressure and severe, you know, uh, you know, heart disease, etc. The way when you look at a person, you cannot make a determination of whether they're healthy on the inside. You could be obese, quote unquote, you know, from a BMI perspective, but have beautiful blood work and live a very long, healthy, happy life, right? I think exercise is really important, or at least moving your body is very important. And you could be obese, but again, have great blood work and ha- and be very heart healthy and you know, get good exercise every day, et cetera. So looking at a person, you can't make a judgment call about that. But I think we're also thinking about like the physical body, the physical health, but like mental health. And this all comes back to mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're so focused on like, what are you eating? What are you putting in your body and all that, that obviously affects your mental health, which maybe you look like everyone else wants to look, but you're not happy and you're focused on the food and you're not sleeping and you're not hanging out with friends and you're not going out with your partner, et cetera, because you're so focused on all that. And like- I don't want to look like that if that's what I'm going to get out of that, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. I want to feel good about how I'm feeling and looking, etc.
2: Yes, yeah. yes. And I feel like the more that you kind of accept yourself and who you are and things like, it's easier actually to engage in those health-promoting behaviors. It's like sometimes what people will say like, move your body because you love it, not because you hate it. It's more from a place- that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's like when you move your body, what what are the benefits? Like, what is it that you actually? How do you actually feel when you do that? Is it for mental health? Do you feel less anxious? Do you? Does it give you more energy during the day instead of be like weight loss focus or like not just weight loss but a body composition? Because this is also a new term, I think, because diets or weight loss it's somehow getting a bad reputation. Thank God. Like partly, yeah. Um, there's a lot of people also like co-opting the anti diet or that idea. But at the end, like when you look at what they do, it's like, yeah. But at the end of the day, you're still telling me that I have to shrink my body or that it's a body composition goal or something like that. So I'm right. like, uh, so what is the deal? You know what I mean? Instead of just okay, let's move our body because that's. Brings us joy. Like yeah. what is it that you enjoy doing? It doesn't have to be going to the gym. If that's what you like, then great. But it can be going for a walk. It can be doing pole dancing. It can be going for a ride. Like right. going out with your bike. It can be whatever. Yeah. Like whatever you enjoy. It could be some yoga. There's no right and wrong there. It's more like how and again going back to your body and asking yourself, how do you feel? Right. Like after you do some movement awesome for people that like
1: rules because I think this is I think this is why some, a lot of people go towards diets, right? Because they want to change their body composition. Mm-hmm. But they, it's easier in a way to, not, you exactly to be like, to yes, I'm allowed to eat carbs. No, I'm allowed to eat carbs. No, I yes. have super high fat. No, I can't have any fat at all. I could count these points, whatever. For people that love rules, is there any like diet ideology that like you think is on the healthier end of things, of the healthier end of the spectrum, or or do you think diets in general you should just avoid?
2: I think so. When I talk about diets, it's more like the pursuit of weight loss, or even sometimes if it's not weight loss, it's like the rigidity of it. But I would say, it's hard to say in a general way, it's more about how is this affecting you? Like, are you happy and content and you were eating in this pattern And it feels good to you and there is no like mental health issues with that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you feeling good in your body and in your mind and everything is going well? Then great. Like, good for you. But is it something that is bothering you? then yes, let's take a look. Like, what is it? Do you feel like you want to binge on sugar because you don't allow yourself to have it ever? So when you go to a birthday party, I don't know, you either avoid going or you go and you're just like obsessed about it when you're there. So it's more like getting the questions back to the person and asking them how do they feel about okay. what is going on. Um, How do
1: you feel about like this keto, gluten-free, high fat, low fat, whatever? Do you think it's all just dangerous or do you see any
2: merits to it? Mm. Oh, That's, I would say, and again, it, it depends on the person. Mm. My experience with people is usually when they come see me and because they know what I do, it's because it didn't go well for them. Yeah. Um, it was very restrictive. I feel like for most people when they ask me, um, how do you feel about this? I'm like, well, well, what is the point? Like, what is the goal? What is the overall goal Where say, if you think of a keto diet and you are restricting a lot of foods? Like, what is the goal? Is it health? Is it uh, body size? Is it, I don't know. Like, can you achieve this with with a less restrictive way of eating? So it's more that like, it's pinpointing what is, it, what is it that you're hoping to achieve by eating this way or yeah. by doing a specific thing? Mm-hmm. I think having that clear makes things a bit easier. And even when it's weight loss, so this is another talk that I have a lot when people are saying, yeah, but I just want to lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, but what is it that you're actually hoping to achieve? Is it being loved by others? Is it feeling like you'd be more successful? Is it acceptance like by other people? Is it, because it's usually more about that than about your body size. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah, it seems very arbitrary to be like, I just want to lose five pounds or 10
1: pounds or 40 pounds. Where's that number coming from? Like, what does that even mean to you? Mm -hmm. How is that going to make you look different? Like, what is that like five pounds? What does that look like on you? And why is that like the dogma?
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny. I've never never admitted this before. I've ever talked about it publicly, but I did do a very extreme diet for my last year of college. I was really, I think I was feeling really depressed uh, at McMaster actually. And I had gotten to my highest weight and I was like, I got to do something drastic. You know what it was? I got HPV. Hmm. That's what I got. I had human I was like, I think I was fucking everybody. And I, and I got, I got, I got slapped and I was like, oh God, I got to do something. But so I never actually, it was like on the spectrum of HPV. I got like the lowest. But does getting
1: HPV make you want a diet?
0: So, because I had gotten weighed for the first time in a long time. Oh, to I the see. doctor Because okay. yeah. I wasn't weighing myself. I was just partying hard. Um, Clearly other to... people
1: were loving your body. Pardon? Clearly other people, other people, were, people loving were loving body. my body, but not yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, Andrew, I want a
0: slice of that meat. Says
1: <laughs> the so pregnant lady. Says so the pregnant lady.
0: <laughs> um, I'll have some salami. Thanks, Thanks, so <laughs> <Boss>. random. <I laughs> um, it's like 9 p.m. and Andrew's eating salami. That's so funny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And now Alana is too.
0: Charcuterie on my yeah, tummy. exactly. Um, oh, sorry, dogs. Oh, the dogs, are, they want the meat too. So when I was in college, no, oh, speaking of which. <laughs> is it mad? Matt? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. Sorry, I'm eating some meat. <laughs> People love to I, you
2: know, I
0: like um I ended up going to Dr. Bernstein. Mm-hmm. It was the most restrictive. Yeah. The most fucked It's basically up like
1: thing. no calories and you get like shots of vitamin B12 so you don't die. Literally
0: right? shots of my ass. Yeah. I think I lost fifty pounds. Holy shit. It was crazy. Mm. Um and how I many, how much off. did
1: you have to leave? To lose?
0: It was, it wasn't, I don't remember. It was just, I had lost 50 pounds in the time I'd gone in four months. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow, and was then what
1: happened after? Did you feel good I, or did you feel shitty?
0: I don't remember. All I remember was getting the shots on my ass didn't feel good, but what they gave you Lisa was a one piece of paper mm-hmm. it was eight and a half by 11 and you had to write all your food on that every single day. And you had to write down the quantities and it was so, so fucking extreme. I was feeling desperate. It was like really an act of desperation. And to be honest, it was extraordinarily expensive. And I think that was one of the reasons I did it. I was like paying Mm -hmm. so much money. I'm like, I can't let this fail. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think it was interesting. I didn't actually ever do it that well. Like I was sort of always a failure at it. And what they try to do is get you into a state of ketosis and they test your pee three times a week to see if you're, have you ever known anyone who's done it?
2: Uh, not clients of mine yeah, But you? I know that Yeah, it's I, I,
1: that. I, I know people
2: They that give you an habits, eating yes. list
1: But they've all gained back the weight Because it's crazy You put your body it's, into starvation And then it's, it's you eat crazy. any food And your body's like Oh shit yeah food I'm going to store this Because if you starve me it was, again It was crazy I need to hold yeah. on to fat I mean know? I
0: like I never got I didn't actually get up To that weight again That I was at Until Actually at the start started this pregnancy um, So yes I lost all that weight But I had put on that weight Because I was Doing all sorts of bad behavior So it was I was somewhere between where my body really likes to be and where it doesn't like to be. Um, but it was a pretty big spread and it was crazy restrictive. And what and happened at the four month mark? Why, did, of- you not, why did you mm-hmm. not continue? Because I'd reached my goal. Okay. Basically. And then did you gained
1: back a bunch of weight really quick?
0: I didn't actually. No. Oh. I sort of kept up the lifestyle a bit um, with mm-hmm. some modifications. But now that I think about it, it was, I was 21, I'm 37. It was mm-hmm. 16 years ago. Mm hmm. And I and at the time, like, I was doing it secretly. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents. I was just spending $300 a week, a week, Ouch. a week. And you're in university. And I was in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the last year of college. It was right before I graduated. And that summer, I had started into my career, and I was extraordinarily thin when I had gotten to, to campus. And I was getting a ton of attention. And I then fucked a lot of guys again, I think, that year. Um, but so it was just... An unhealthy, very unhealthy piece. And I've never actually admitted this ever publicly. Mm. So it was a very, very fucked up thing. But yeah, that was the most fucked up dieting situation Mm. I'd ever done. Um, Yeah.
1: I think whether you do something like Bernstein or not, which is basically like super duper restrictive calories as far as I know. And then they give you shots of things like vitamin B12 because you're so much fasting that the worries that your body is like literally nutrient depleted, so you have to replenish that with like like needles of those things like vitamin B twelve. Very scary. But whether you do that kind of thing or not, yeah, it was extreme. There's plenty of people that are just fasting, right? Like they're not paying three hundred dollars a week to have someone tell them that it's okay to fast. A right. doctor, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, but they're fasting anyway. You know, so many diets well, are that way. you that? There was Sorry? a reason I was telling you that. Yeah.
0: Oh, because a medical professional yeah. in that business was like, why is this your goal weight? I was like, because that seems like where my body's happy. He's like, actually, scientifically, your body would be better 10 pounds lighter. Hmm. He would try- they were trying to get yeah. me to go okay. mm-hmm. so to go more. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, it was really fucked up at the time. Um, but I didn't realize how fucked up it was until this conversation. Because <laughs> it's part of the journey that I've never, I think I've just decided that it didn't exist. But it had. There's
1: a reason why that brand is Dr. You know, it comes with it like instant credibility. People and are like, and people oh, are doctors said it was. People don't okay. talk about it. It's yeah. very
0: secretive. It's like very opaque. Yeah, appointments are only at, at six in the morning. Like it's very really t- between is six it? and six and two is the only time you can go. Huh. They oh. only go, you are only allowed. It's very I didn't fucked know up. That. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's what I mean by like a lifetime of disordered eating, just yeah. like a ping pong back and forth of like extreme dieting and calorie restrictions and stuff like that but i don't think i'm alone i think honestly part of my like I think my my call to action and sort of my life mission now is like i talk about these things publicly because like i guarantee a shit ton of our listeners are going to listen to this and be like holy shit i also
2: oh, blocked yes. out this memory of
0: me doing something really stupid
2: i would say mo- well i don't want to say most people like most women but a lot of women i think most women yes, yes. I-, I really don't say. know
1: i don't think i've ever met anyone that was Never had something weird like, maybe they moved They didn't pay the money to go to the clinic, but something, some restriction, mm-hmm. some rules. I only ever met a friend where at some point at some dinner at some point they were like, "Oh, I'm not eating that right now," or like, "I'm off of carbs," or "I'm off of fat." Or mm-hmm. everyone's always on something, right? You know, yeah. Yes. Anyway, like ping pongs, right? You feel great and then you don't feel great and. You know, See, you get distracted, you get less distracted, you get pregnant, you're like, fuck, I can eat everything because who cares what, I, you know, that's right. when you're going to go to McDonald's again. You haven't gone to McDonald's in three years. Now I'm going to go to McDonald's again. Every day. And yeah. then you, and then you have the baby you're like shit, no more McDonald's. I need to lose right. all that weight yeah. again. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that is a yeah. very
0: fucked up thing. Like the behaviors yeah. you develop in pregnancy are quite hard to shake. I find also, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. Does it matter? Yeah, that- well,
2: I think it goes a little bit of what Dana is saying. Like, it depends on where you were before. When you have this mindset that, yeah, well, I'm pregnant, like, for the shake, I don't care. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And it's, if before getting pregnant, you were in a place where, again, like, food is neutral and food is on the table and food is there and you have access to food all the time it, and all foods, it decreases this idea that I can Well, you can always eat everything you want, So why are you going crazy about food right now if it was always allowed? It's
1: the same as binging, right? If you restrict, 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 you're more likely to binge because you become obsessed with like, how good is that chocolate going to taste? How good good is that muffin or bagel or whatever going to taste? But if you have a bagel once in a while and you enjoy that bagel once in a while, you're probably less likely to binge on it because you don't need it. Your brain isn't like, Focused, 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 focused on getting a bagels that. a binge. <laughs> you yes, know, yeah. bagel every day. Yeah, and uh, people that are low yeah. carb, like yeah. that's the thing, right? Yeah, no. Like, I was gluten free for years and years, right? Because really? we thought I had celiac. Oh, yeah, it's a whole other conversation, but yeah, I was diagnosed with celiac um, in med school uh-huh. and then I was gluten-free, like truly 100% gluten-free for 12 years because I thought I'd celiac and I didn't want to risk anything because the risk of um, intestinal issues, et cetera. And the only thing I ever craved for those 12 years was a bagel with butter. Oh, really? And it was just like weird thing. And then, and then long story short, I went back on gluten when I was pregnant with Austin because the only thing that made me not puke was gluten. Right. And I didn't have any belly symptoms uh-huh. when I was back on gluten at that time. And I remember having... Having the bagel for the first time, and I was like, wow, this doesn't taste nearly as good as I thought it was gonna taste. <laughs> yeah. It was such a letdown. Uh-huh. Like, truly. I call a, that a lunch bag a letdown. Huge <laughs> letdown. Yeah. 12 years I had no bagel. Like, a Montreal <laughs> bagel toasted with butter. Like, it's Ugh. all I thought about when I thought about what I I'm so wanted to do. i now, right now. If you suggest yes. anything, I'm like, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> butter on a bagel, my friend. Anyway, and then I had the damn bagel, and I was like, yeah, this is good, but like, oh my gosh, it was built up in my head as being like
2: this. It was much better. Totally. You had this idea that it was much better than it actually tasted. So yes, I was saying before, like sometimes people will, they have this thing, oh my goodness, but I love this food so much and Mm. I can't wait to have it. Like I'm thinking like sometimes when it's like chips, oh, I can have chips, I can stop having them. So I I never, yeah, I never have them in the house because I I can control myself around them. We talk about the the keeping things in the
0: house mm -hmm. stuff. My mom, I could literally I love you, mom, I could wring your motherfucking neck. My daughter just had surgery this or was broke her femur this weekend. And my parents are in Florida. So they thought it was appropriate to send a gift basket the size of the dog crate. I'm looking at a giant dog, literally that big, full of just candy. Candy, chocolate, sugar literally everything you could possibly imagine that is so bad for my entire family. And she's waiting for me to say it. her, she's like, so did you get the, del-? I was like, what do you want me to say? Thanks. She's like, am I in trouble? I'm like, you knew this was a bad thing to send my family. Matt's like, my husband's like, we got to get this shit out of the house. Like in my husband's mind, like I can have it in the house and like have a Hershey's kiss here and there and feel okay about it. My husband cannot he will eat the entire thing. Mm -hmm. What's that about? Like not having it in the house?
2: Again, it's that... Restrictiveness. It's it's that restrictiveness. It's good and bad, right? Yeah, because restriction is not just physical restriction, meaning you were avoiding that food. If you're eating the food, but you're feeling like... Like if you're feeling guilt and shame, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't be having this. Oh no, this chocolate is bad for me. I shouldn't be eating this. Why am I doing this? All those thought even though you were eating that food they still trigger deprivation and they trigger this feeling that i can have this around me because i'll feel out of control if you have it around you and you actually give yourself permission to have it whenever like in the beginning as you give yourself more permission permission to eat foods that's you you that's you
0: Excuse me, it was the
2: slime. <laughs> continue. You may eat more of them than right. usual. Say in the beginning, if you say, oh, no, I'm going to allow myself to have cookies in the house, say. Uh, it is normal that in the beginning, you're going to eat more cookies than normal. But at one point, you were just like, then you realize that, well, cookies are always there. And I can have them whenever I want. So yeah, maybe I don't feel like having cookies right now. You, guys, you, you, you keep junk in the house a bit.
1: Yeah. yeah. So when you when you started saying that, I was thinking like, is it a birthday party, right? So there's so many families that are super, restrictive about having candy or junk or whatever and the what they call junk you know it's you know air quotes and then they go to these kids go to a birthday party and they go batshit crazy right they're like right. Mm-hmm. juice and candy and and my kids do that because they're kids but no we we are not super restrictive with the caveat that my kids eat well so like we're quite strict about having meals, family meals, where we face each other and there's no distraction, there's no TV or mm-hmm. anything. And we have real meals that all of us eat the same meal. And then if they eat their meal well, they don't have to finish everything on the plate, but they have to eat a decent amount of it, all of, it, all of the various things, veg and whatever included, protein. Um, and that, then they can have a fruit of their choosing and then they can have a treat, a treat of their choosing. But if they don't eat their meal well or their fruit, that's it for the meal, so we're, like, super hardcore about mealtimes. Um, and my kids eat everything. They can go to any restaurant, anyone's house, and they will sit well and have a social experience with us, talk about their day, and they will eat anything, anywhere. Um, and they do get a treat of their choosing. And that could be, like, I brought home some stuff that people gave me as, like, Christmas gifts today. And so one of my kids had a puruline, like, you know, those stick... Things, other called Purillians, you know what I mean. Pyrillian? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, three of the kids had little chocolate balls, like a, like a lint thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was the meal, and they loved it. And they should love it. And I'm glad they ate it because they ate really well for so uh-huh. their meal. But once they leave the dinner table. If they didn't eat well, like that's it. That's the meal. Close the end. Next meal is breakfast, and there's no messing around. And yeah. and we don't make anything else. My kids want whatever they don't want pasta. They do want chicken. Too bad. So sad. Passes the meal. Tomorrow you could have chicken. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So my kids do eat treats, but they have they almost like after like not really reward. I don't. Re- I'm not like you can only have this if that. It's just it's just an unspoken rule. My kids just know right. that if they don't get to that step, they just don't get it, and that's it. We don't fight mm-hmm. about it. There's no there's no meal time
0: arguments or trading or negotiating like none of that is on the table my family is right now in hardcore negotiation. Yeah, we do trading. not negotiate with us. it's stuff. bad right now with my, my daughter essa is amazing she had tabbouleh tonight she's 14 months old she had the chicken on the table the falafels everything elias was like "Ugh." anyways we'll yeah, talk about it later. I, the, the whole debate yeah. thing the whole negotiation like mealtime battle exhausting. struggle
1: stuff like yeah. i don't have any patience for that it makes life hard yeah it makes life stressful and i want kids to enjoy food
0: like truly taste the foundation love the food. you're yeah. setting up the foundation that yeah. Lisa's talking about yeah. which is your boys won't have body image issues or food is good or bad they'll just know that this is food right and it's
1: delicious like right. I want people to sit down and be like this chicken is delicious right this vegetable is delicious this soup is delicious versus being like this is all like uh, and the really good stuff is the chocolate at the end. Like that right. that isn't how we framed it. Right. I want them to enjoy the food that I also enjoy that is maybe chicken is maybe pasta and maybe fish and maybe chickpeas. It doesn't have to be the chocolate. right? You know what I mean? So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm really all about the social experience of meals. Yeah. Yeah, you, yes, right? I, def-
2: yeah I definitely agree with you. We kind of do something sim- similar. Like meals are like everybody's on the table. There is no phones, no nothing. We sit and we talk. I would say the only thing that I do different actually is when, whenever we have dessert, I actually serve with the food. So my daughter, she can choose if she wants to start with dessert or if she wants to start with the meal. Like she usually will start with the meal. Sometimes she'll get a bite of whatever it is it, say a chocolate. And a lot of the time she just, she will leave dessert on the table. Yeah. And to me, this is the most, I don't know, magical thing. Like being, like growing up a little bit like you, Elena, in yeah. a in a household where like everybody dieted and all the women in my life they will diet and things like that and sugar was also always kind of off limits or that yeah like reward special food right and you sing seeing like such a young human being that would take a bite of something like sweet and they would just leave the rest there it's
1: like heartwarming austin tonight he had this little lint chocolate he took a bite of it he said all done and i was like Mm. oh my god you're such a good boy I'm gonna like start made doing that made me so
0: happy. I think we keep like we because we were on vacation recently. It was like way too much sugar overdrive. That was like we were very out of holidays our holidays too. There's
1: just so much shit around. There was so much shit around,
0: so we were trying to like dial it back a bit. But I think you just inspired me and reminded me. It's such a good refresher every time we have this conversation. Like I need to sort of put the treat on the table again because I've done that before and it was I was shocked that he had like the bite of the treat and then ate the rest of the food. And right now we're sort of saying no, you can't have it until you finish everything else. And it's becoming a. Giant bag. So that's the thing.
1: So we don't say it. Right. So that's the difference. And, and someone else that was on, I think another dietitian was saying the same thing, like everything's kind of presented at the table.
0: Right. I'm not it sure we haven't done that.
1: I think we could do that. Right. Um, I just want to make sure that they do have the healthy things. Right. But it's not a negotiation. So it's not a reward. The treat isn't a reward. It's just like the last step. Just right. like, you know, some people have the salad first and people have the salad after the main dish. Right. It's just the order in which it's presented. Right. Um. but you don't necessarily get it. I just don't want, and probably, I think knowing my kids, they wouldn't eat the dessert and then not go back and have the meal. They probably
0: would. But I still rather them fill up on the healthy stuff versus filling up on the unhealthy stuff first. And what I like about this conversation, Lisa, today, we do talk a lot about kids' health and nutrition and intuitive Mm -hmm. eating. We don't ever really dedicate a full hour just to parents' sort of Mm -hmm. body image with somebody who's an expert. We've had people who know about this stuff, but not in the way in which you live in I guess, die by it. So, um, Lisa, if somebody wants to find you, where can they find Lisa Mello?
2: Yeah, so the easiest way is on Instagram, which is, I just said, bodypiece.mom, or my website is just com. M-E-L-O. Yes. Lisa, if there's
0: one piece of advice you want our listeners to hear or to remind them, what's the one big takeaway from today's conversation?
2: Your body is a good body, and you don't have to shrink it.
0: <laughs> Amen.
2: I love it. I love it. Amen. Thanks, yeah. Lisa. Thank you. Thanks Thank Anne. You for
0: having me. Thanks, Dr. Dre. Thanks, quiet. Dr. Z. The, the puppies stayed quiet. The puppies did good. The puppies <laughs> did good. Thanks, everybody. And we were so excited to be back. Thanks, Dr. Dean. Thank this you. was moms that say fuck. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoy the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics you care about. Please connect with us on
1: social media at Moms That Say, at MomsTO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik, and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more,
0: click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.